Hi traders, welcome to episode 7 of the Duomo Trading Podcast. With me today again, I have Lorenzo Berriozzo, who's the Chief Economist at Puricasa AG. Hi Lorenzo. Hi Nicolas, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So today we're going to be discussing another economic topic, and this is an economic issue that's been around for quite a while, but it sort of made its way back into the financial media in the last couple of weeks because of the involvement of a particular financial institution, which we'll come on to in just a second. It was quite controversial. Now, the topic is, of course, Venezuela, and I'm sure you're already aware of the social problems they've got over there, quite tragic problems that they're facing at the moment. They've been going on for quite a while. But just in case you're not aware, and just to make sure that we're all up to speed, I'm just going to run through some of the the background now. So Venezuela's basically, it's got the largest oil reserves in the world, even larger than Saudi Arabia, although the annual oil production is much lower. But that sort of, it makes it even more surprising the situation they face at the moment. I mean, the oil prices obviously dropped over the last few years, and it's highlighted the bad management of their funds that they had. And this has led to a lot of social problems. There's not enough supplies of food and medical pro- products. Inflation is ridiculously high. It's a big crisis and it's led to a lot of social unrest. So basically since 2013, the economy shrunk by 27% and food imports have dropped by 70%. That's a quite a phenomenal drop to have. And so this means that, you know, people are struggling to eat. 90% of people can't find enough food to eat. And there's even anecdotes of people eating their pets and eating rubbish, like raiding bins to try and find anything that they can eat. And about 75% of Venezuelans have lost an average of £19 last year. We're talking weight, obviously, not money. That's according to the National Poll of Living Conditions. So the IMF has estimated that Venezuela is going to see an inflation rate of 720% this year. 720%. As you can imagine, people aren't happy. People have been protesting. And the government is not exactly the most laissez-faire government in the world. It's more of a dictatorship. And there's been a lot of murders from the protesters. I think at one point there was uh, 60 people that were killed and 13,000 injured from a space of two months of protesting. And the overall murder rate in the country has increased as well. As you can imagine, crime is increasing, which means that the murder rate is increased to 60 murders per day. Now, you can imagine the situation here is dire and therefore people are trying to look for a solution the government is looking for a solution in their own favor and this means that they're relying on financial deals or asset sales to increase their foreign reserves which are really in a bad situation so this sort of opened up the doors for goldman sachs which is the controversial in uh, financial institution that it came to light two weeks ago had been investing in venezuela although lorenzo in a second will talk us through it they basically invest in $2.8 billion of bonds. Uh, they paid $865 million for it. And people have been up in arms about it. There's been protests. There's been a lot of complaints about it. It's been in the news. So, Lorenzo, would you mind talking us through a little bit about the background of the deal? Sure. Pleasure. Uh, so, this deal is relatively simple, but also um, not so it's not something that you commonly see in the fixed income market so we're talking about a, a bond which was issued by the uh, state-owned company called pdvsa uh some some time some some years ago uh, is due to mature in 2022 and uh, the interesting things that sort of hit the news is that goldman sachs uh, bought some of it uh, around three billions 
um, with a strong discount. I mean, if the news are correct, we're talking about uh, something around 30 cents on the dollar for or about 900, 900 million dollars. Now, they didn't buy directly. They buy indirectly through uh, a broker, which is uh, a Chinese company called Haitong, which is part of the um, the government, uh, the government uh, is part of the government of China, and uh, so it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they uh, managed the um, you know the issues, and you know they decided to vote this bond uh, because they, of course, they represent an interesting investment, an interesting investment not just from a financial point of view, because I said. Um, they only pay roughly 30 cents on the dollar, but also because of the overall performance of um, the emerging market bonds. Uh, if you compare the Venezuelan component of the JPM uh, EM bond index against the overall index, you will see that uh, the Venezuelan component has outperformed the index roughly two to one, offering stellar results. Uh, of course, um, this, I mean, generated a certain, um, I mean, a certain amount of uh, of debate and uh, of crisis, crisis in the press. Uh, first and foremost, because it looks like um, this deal was not authorized by the Venezuelan government, so it was not voted by uh, the Venezuelan authority and. Uh, um, Mr. Um, I mean, the president of the National Assembly in Venezuela has been very vocal in in, in stating that um, these type of bonds have a very peculiar label. They're called hunger bonds because, as the name may it may suggest, basically there's a sort of there's a barter there which is money for food. Give us some money, thanks to which you know we can buy uh, supplies. Um, of course, it's been read and interpreted as an attempt to um, provide support to President Maduro, which is on the news, has been on the news now in the past months and years. And I mean, of course, the, the country itself is undergoing a lot of turmoil. And so, of course, Goldman Sachs has, had, uh, uh, has, been, has been trying to spin, you know, in the news um, the fact that they did not um, pay any money directly to Venezuela and its government, but of course all the whole transaction uh, included a third party, uh, which is Itong, um, and of course so they they technically speaking and literally speaking they did not provide any financial support to uh, to the Maduro presidency, but nonetheless of course uh, there's there's a lot of criticism around. Um, it's clear that Venezuela does need foreign uh, strong foreign currencies. Uh, their uh, foreign reserve, uh, I mean, have gone below the sort of 10 billions, and that's a very low uh, figure for the country. So they were they were very keen and very eager to put their hands on some on some uh, on some strong currencies like dollars, and that's the reason why you know this deal uh, represented a good opportunity for them. Yeah, it's funny how Goldman Sachs kept this whole deal secret, and now it's come to light, and they obviously didn't want the, the sort of focus on it as much as it's been now. Then they're suddenly putting a positive spin on things, saying how they agree that life in Venezuela has to improve, and they expect that to happen, and that's why they're investing in the country, because they expect it to be improving and to rebound from this. Yes. But it's like you said, like they're called the hunger bonds, they're nicknamed the hunger bonds, because the money that's going to this, like that's going being paid in these bonds that the, the government's getting, is just going back in the regime. And Maduro, when he's meant to be paying money for food, 
he's instead prioritizing paying back bondholders. It's almost like an obsession of his. So it means that people are going without the food and medicine and things that they need, and the government's keeping on generating this cash or trying to, and the only way they can do it now is from this private financing, which is why they're, like, they have no other option than to go to places like Goldman Sachs and Nomura to try and get this sort of funding. Yes, I mean, it's absolutely true. Uh, there is a, a tragic social situation, and of course, there is a low level of transparency in, uh, from the government, so no one is really sure how you know these funds will be are being used and will be used. So we, you can't really tell for sure uh, what's happening there. Um, let's just say that in general, I mean, of course, it's in Venezuela's interest to repay this bond because I mean it's an economy that runs completely on oil exports, uh, and so. Uh, it would be extremely, extremely unfavorable for the country to put himself in a situation where basically investors need to seize their assets or like tankers and, you know, and an oil field in order to get their money back. So for sure, they don't want that. It um, seems like maybe that's a, an extra incentive for Goldman Sachs that obviously um, if there are problems paying back, like you said, it's quite a high coupon that's being paid on these. If there is problems in paying it back, then there's definitely assets to be seized that should be owned by the public, but obviously because it's quite a dictatorship regime there, then it's uh, it's something that Goldman could actually take control of. Yes, I mean it could provide a fair, you know, a fair high degree of sort of political leverage, uh, provided that of course Goldman Sachs wants to keep the bond until maturity. Um, that being said, I mean per se, if you look at the pure financial, of course, is a is a very profitable trade. Uh, given the strong discount at which it was uh, it was purchased, and also I mean considering that it was uh, it, it was not something that it was negotiated in the in the primary market, but was like a secondary sale, of course, uh, that has even more even less transparency, if you wish, to the overall uh, to the overall operation. So yes, uh, it's not transparent. And speaking of transparency, we also need to stress the fact that the original issuance was not even registered with. Uh, the usual clearing organization like Euroclear, so back in in in, in the past years when ITONG uh, organized this issue, so there's there's a considerable amount of shade around this deal, which I'm sure is not going to be the last one, and there probably will be other example of that going forward. And not just I mean, look, we know that Goldman Sachs is no stranger to doing these sort of secretive deals that they're trying to keep out of public attention we remember back famously back in i think it was the early 2000s when they were involved with greece the nation and they were helping them leverage up a little bit more or a lot more by offering them the opportunity to do these off the books cross currency swaps and therefore greece i think ended up doubling their debt so that's just the international stuff. We obviously know domestically with the financial crisis, there are a large part of that in allowing homeowners to practically kill themselves financially. So in all these situations, they provide the rope for these countries or individuals to hang themselves with. And in this situation, they had the broker Dinosaur, I think it's called, which is part of this the deal to try and keep it off their books or try and keep it out of public attention. And this company Dinosaur was fined a couple of years ago by FINRA for not having at least $250,000 in capital. So you have to wonder why a big institution like Goldman's getting involved with a broker like that and what this is all sort of trying to achieve. I think one thing's for sure is that you have to really question the sort of moral compass 
And I think in all of these situations, that's really what it comes down to. Is where is the moral compass for all of these deals? Yeah, I mean that's 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 absolutely correct. Um, on the other hand, I said uh, in this case the whole issue emerged because, of course, there are big names involved like Goldman Sachs, and also because um, there's a political process involved which apparently didn't function as it should have because I said the parliament didn't get to vote on. On uh, you know on these overall issues, so it's it's a very untransparent operation, which is nonetheless also very profitable for what we can read. I mean, the fact that they didn't vote on this bond issue is actually one of the biggest risks I think for for Goldman Sachs or any other investors, because the opposition lawmakers and so on that were writing to the major financial institutions before this happened and warning them they shouldn't be investing in this kind of thing, they actually said that. These bonds have not gone through the sort of voting of the people or whatever. They, that means that they're not agreed upon properly. They haven't gone through the right legislature or whatever. And therefore, it means that they're not going to be recognised if there's a new government. So if Maduro is not in power, it means that the money is practically lost. So that's a big risk for Goldman's. I think they've obviously they've got a good yield. They've bought them at a discount, which means that they can appreciate in value. Um, but the only risk is if there's going to be another government. And it looks like, you know, the signs are that Maduro's um, hold over the government is going to start weakening, especially if China are not backing him anymore, which is another potential issue. So could it be that there's an incentive for Goldman Sachs and other financial institutions that are involved somehow to throw good money after bad money and try and help Maduro keep power? Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be, you know, that could definitely be a reason. I mean, the reason why the yield on the, on the, and the return on this bond is so uh, enticing is precisely because it's risky. And the risk, I mean, in this case, comes primarily from easy liquidity. I mean, it's a highly liquid instrument because not many, not just, you know, wealthy investors, but even institutions are unwilling, you know, to, to trade, you know, Venezuelan bond because it's, it's, it's very hot. It's very hot and risky. So it remains to be seen whether, you know, Goldman Sachs will, will keep, you know, these, uh, these, these bond until maturity. Unlikely, probably they will try to find a buyer before that and just, you know, and, and capitalize on, you know, on, on, on the trade. It's funny, you know, I mentioned earlier that Maduro is almost like obsessive about trying to pay off the bondholders early. And there's a theory that I've read, and I've actually heard it a few times now, that the reason this is, is that a lot of the capital, it's not because of the financial investors, like Wall Street investors or anything like that, but it's also because a lot of the capital is from within the regime itself, from drug trafficking. And the government's actually been in a lot of hot water to do with drug trafficking before, where the US had sanctions against them because of that. And it could be that this is part of a money laundering scheme that they're doing. And that's why they need to pay off that money earlier before making food payments and other necessary things like that. That would be an explanation, yes, potentially. But also you need to look at the overall sort of economic situation there. They have a um, mounting inflation in the range of seven, eight hundred percent. So, of course, they're absolutely eager to put their hands on some strong and, and, and reliable currencies, being dollars, being euros, being whatever. So, of course, given the situation in which they are, any any means is sort of is 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 a go. And in this case, you're looking at billions in in dollars, which you know provide some some relief, some oxygen to 
you know, a, a, a government that, of course, aside from the political the political troubles that is going through, also needs to deal with a very very complicated and, and in negative polit- economic situation. So that represents a breath of oxygen for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, the amount of money is not massive, but compared to the reserves they've got, then it's yeah. probably more significant. Although the opposition party, I think, called it putting lipstick on the pig. Yes, of course. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is not going to be a uh, a game changer, but you still, I mean, it, it still represents a, uh, a sizable support. So based on all of this, are Goldman Sachs wrong to be doing a deal like this? Well, I mean, it depends from, from you know, which perspective you look at it. I mean, from a pure financial perspective, of course, it's a type of deal that can generate, you know, very, very significant results, as we discussed. Of course, there are the moral and political implication of it, which, of course, can easily outweigh the benefits, you know, the, the financial benefits. So all in all, probably Goldman Sachs was counting on this deal sort of remaining in the shade and not becoming public. That's not been the case. And, of course, that's going to that's gonna represent another opportunity will fuel, again, the, uh, the debate in, 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 in the financial world around what exactly is that they're doing? What are their motivation? What is the gap between their stated principles and you know their actions on the other hand? Lorenzo, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. So what do you think? I'd love for you to leave us a comment and let us know your opinion on this situation. Was Goldman Sachs right or wrong to do what they did? What do you think is going to happen with the situation in Venezuela? Do you think that any other financial institutions are going to get involved? Let me know your thoughts, leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you use. If you find that it's not available on your podcasting platform of choice, then please do let us know and we'll try and arrange for it to be there in future. Also, if you've got a couple of minutes, we'd love for you to leave us a review and a rating on your podcasting platform so that others can find us and we can bring you more content like this and even better content in the future. We really appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week with another topic for the podcast. But until then, take care. Have a great week.